Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. Previously on the Dover Download Podcast, we talked about the issues regarding homeless and the homeless population here in Dover. One of the other tough topics that we have to deal with, and I think it's a topic that's coming up more and more, is the community, the region, the state, however you want to frame the area geographically, our mental health. Today, we're going to talk with Katie Jones and with Chief Bill Bro, both of the police department, and they are spearheading Dover's mental health, I want to say, review, plan, how would I word it, Chief? Well, good morning, Chris. I, I would I would uh, refer to it as a, a plan. It was put together by a um, independent kind of committee made up of representatives from different aspects of our community, really looking at how the city's responding to mental health. We're going to get into that into a lot of detail, but I think it's probably good for the listener to know who I'm talking with. So, Chief, if you want to give a, a brief intro, tell the uh, the listener a little bit about yourself and sure how you um, got here. Sure. I'm Bill Bro. I'm uh, the, obviously the police chief here in Dover. I've been with the police department since 1998, so I'm beginning my 25th year of service. It's hard to believe that 25 years has already gone by. But for the last 25 years, I've obviously worked for the police department. I've held a whole variety of ranks and assignments. Um, and for the last almost four and a half years, I've been the police chief. Nice. Katie, how about yourself? What would you be happy to tell us? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Katie Jones, and I'm the social worker at the Dover PD. I came to the PD from Rochester School District. I was the student assistance counselor at Rochester Middle School for almost five years. Um, there I did early intervention and prevention work around substance use, so really working with kids who might have parents struggling with substance use, giving them education around why they might be at higher risk, um, getting them connected to good protective factors and services. It was a great position, but I'm really happy to be a part of the PD, and I've been at the PD since February. Is it, in your profession, is it common that you see the connection with the PD when you talk about mental health, or is that something we're seeing more and more of? I think it is common, only because when someone's in a crisis or needing help, they are more likely to reach out to their local police department for help. Chief, is it something you're seeing more and more of? How did you come about moving towards that direction? That's a good question. Right. So over the last probably three to five years, we really started seeing an increase in what I refer to as non-criminal calls for service. So a call for service is anything from a, from an officer conducting a traffic stop all the way up to a homicide. But not all of them are crimes. People call us for all kinds of issues or, or concerns they have. But what we started really seeing is an upward trend over the last three to five years in what I would call social service-related calls for service, people seeking assistance uh, with mental health, with substance misuse, with, with homelessness. You know, and it's not just people that are impacted directly by those issues, but it's people concerned for their neighbors or loved ones or people they see out on the street. So we, we really looked at it and said, we are really spending a, a lot of our time not doing the traditional police work uh, and doing, again, these this kind of social service work. So we, we started looking at ways we could better address that. And one of the one of the opportunities that kind of presented itself to us was a grant through the Department of Justice to try to solve this problem. At the same time, you know, we do a pretty good job of, of keeping an eye out on what the rest of the country is doing and how 
other police departments and municipalities are trying to solve problems. And police social workers were really taking hold. And there's a whole bunch of different models and, and, and methods on how police departments are, are using social workers. Uh, a lot of them are putting social workers with police officers out in the field responding to people in crisis. And I didn't see that as really our need. I think our police officers are very well trained in crisis intervention and, and the ability to de-escalate people. They do a really good job there. They certainly get people out of crisis. But where we were seeing people, and I think where we were failing, is we were seeing people in crisis. Our officers were going out, responding, doing a good job getting people out of crisis, only to then see them in crisis again a few days later. And that cycle was constantly repeating itself. So we saw the opportunity, If we, in, in my thought, was if we put somebody in there to help when people are not in crisis, help them get connected with services, maybe we can limit the number of times they're in crisis and ultimately reduce that increase in calls for service for non-criminal stuff, really to free up our offices to handle traditionally what they're supposed to be handling, car crashes, responding to crimes in progress, uh, solving crimes that have occurred. So we applied, and that was the model that we used uh, to apply for the grant the Department of Justice um, awarded the city of Dover the grant, which allowed us to bring on Katie, and she's done a tremendous job uh, since. But Katie does go out with the officers from time to time to go out to homeless camps to to go out and meet people um, where they where they where they are to office services, but she doesn't respond to active calls for service mm-hmm. uh, with her officers. So, Katie. It, it strikes me, and I could be totally wrong, and it's okay for you to tell me that. Um, it strikes me that there are some cultural and some societal shifts that we've really seen almost in that same three- to four-year period where awareness of mental health on a broad scale, but also on a specific scale of how people respond to it, how people see it, and don't necessarily sweep it under the rug, has become much more of a... We actually have to work on this, and we have to actually focus on this, and it's it's a vital, vital part of keeping society moving. Is that me, or is that tr- is that something we are seeing? Yeah, I think we are definitely seeing that. Um, I think that awareness and discussions are being held more frequently around mental health in communities. I think for a long time, like you said, uh, people would just sweep issues under the rug and hope that they would go away. And that clearly was not working. So I think, you know, stigma around mental health and addressing mental health issues has definitely been addressed. Um, And I think that having larger systems like police departments bringing in someone like a social worker to help address mental health concerns and other social service unmet needs just goes towards decreasing the stigma towards mental health. It's almost, and I could be wrong, Chief, but it's almost like by recognizing the need and bringing it into your department as a legitimized uh, factor you're mainstreaming something that might have been marginalized in the past. Yeah, that's exactly our hope, actually. Um, like Katie said, I think a big part of this is stigma. People, uh, two things. I think it's a, it's a lack of awareness and stigma. So people aren't aware of the mental health, their own mental health. People may not necessarily be aware of, of their loved one's mental health. Or they're aware there's an issue, but they're not aware of how to who to seek help from, how to how to ask for help, and when they should ask for help. So I think we need to do a better job as as a society in making sure people understand that. And I think we can do a whole host of things to address that. But the other part of that is stigma. Again, as a society, I think we all need to do a better job of not treating people differently because they because they reach out for help. 
uh, not treating people differently because they have a mental health crisis. We really need to, in my opinion, look at mental health the way we look at physical health. Somebody had, you know, people, we do a good job as a society understanding the, the signs and symptoms of, of a heart attack, right? Um, and if you had a loved one that was complaining of chest pain and pain radiating down their left arm, most people know that's a sign of a heart attack and you're probably going to call somebody. We need to do the same for, for mental health, help people understand the signs and symptoms of mental health issues to address them early. I mean, I think that would also, you know, reduce the use of law enforcement and even fire and EMS for, for mental health related calls um, because people would seek help well before a crisis. And that's really my goal is get people hooked up with services well before they're in that state of crisis. Yeah, it's kind of the idea of the self-fulfilling prophecy of if you deal with things, you get to a point where you don't need to deal with things because exactly. everyone is is working towards them. And I, I find it interesting what you were saying. One thing I think as a culture, Americans like accountability. We want to hold people accountable. Right. But how dare you say you need help? Right. How dare you be accountable to others by saying, I can't do this on my own? Right. And more and more, I think that we are recognizing that whether it's physical health and saying I need to see a, a doctor, a nutritionist, a health, what have you, it's becoming more and more real to people to say, I need a therapist or I have this X and I need to work on X. And in the meantime, when that crisis management comes up, we have people like Katie, we have people like other resources within the city, both community and uh, the city itself, the municipal corporation, that are there. Katie, I'm curious, what's a day like for you? What What are you actually, when you're waking up in the morning and coming to work, what sort of things are you thinking you're going to be doing today? Yeah, so every day looks different, which is a big reason why I really like this this role is because the versatility of it. But my day, my day usually starts with me going into the, the PD um, and reviewing the police log for the past... 24 hours calls the calls for service over the past 24 hours. If it's a Monday, then I review it for the weekend. Um, and I do that for the purpose of looking for calls for service that have, and I like to say, a social worky whiff to them. <laughs> so a call for service that essentially resulted in an unmet social service need that the chief had, you know, discussed before, whether that's homelessness untreated mental health, substance use. So that issue that they're having resulted in them calling the police. And if it were uh, that need were met, maybe they wouldn't be calling the police for for help. So I pick out those cases and then I just cold call people <laughs> to see if they're interested in, you know, receiving any help or any services, if there's anything that I can help get them connected to. And the point of that is to intervene sooner than later. So before they are at that crisis level, if I can start seeing individuals trending up two, three calls in the past two weeks, then that's a that's a note to me that maybe they could benefit from someone reaching out to them. It, and it's really, to jump in here, it's really not just Katie going through the logs. The, we, the, the officers, I think, have really bought into what Katie's doing because she she can talk about some success stories here in a minute, but she's been very successful in, in, in helping people. These are the same people that our offices out on the street are dealing with almost daily. Um, so a lot of the referrals that Katie gets come directly from the, the police officers themselves, uh, as well as the fire department. Over the last probably month, month and a half, we really worked to launch this program with the fire department as well. So even though Katie's embedded with the police department, she's really a citywide service. Um, so the fire 
you know, our fire department goes out to a lot of, of med- medical calls, uh, like the police officers. Very few people call the police department and say, I'm suffering from a mental health crisis. Can you c- come help me? The calls come in differently. For us, it comes, it may come in as a disturbance or a domestic violence situation or, or what have you. But the true underlying, one of the true underlying issues is the person's mental health. Well, the same thing happens with the fire department. They, they may go to an elderly person who has called for a medical issue when the, the reality is the person may be suffering from, you know, early onset of dementia or something like that. So the fire department obviously sees a lot of the, of people that really need to get connected to better services as well and they refer to katie as well yeah i i've had a since the end of november i was at 128 cases since starting in february so from february to november i had 28 cases referred to me it was a pretty even split between me self-selecting cases out of the log and then also coming in direct contact with individuals while doing outreach, going to different homeless camps or whatever that may be, and inter- interfacing with people and them wanting wanting to work with me further. The other half of my referrals largely came from internal referrals from officers. And then we did have uh, only, you know, just under 10 from the fire department. However, I had, by the end of November, I had gone to the fire department and presented to all four shifts, met every firefighter and first responder there. So we are anticipating a much larger influx of referrals coming from the fire department because they've now met me directly. I have a relationship with them. They know how the program works. We have a release in place, a HIPAA compliant release in place for the fire department to be able to communicate with the police department. So. Um, we are anticipating a lot more referrals coming from the fire department. So this all sounds like a great plan forward, but it's based on that thing, a plan, which didn't just come out of nowhere. You've been working on it, maybe not since February, but but pretty soon after. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the development of the plan, who was on the, the team with you all, and where that plan goes? Again, at the time, Paul Haas, the fire chief at the time, and I, we, we were having a discussion with the city manager about this increased calls calls for service related to mental health, um, some of the concerns that we were hearing from, from the community about mental health, about homelessness, about substance misuse. And I think it's important to understand that when we talk about mental health, you know, a lot of the same things that we want to put in place to address mental health are also addressing hopefully addressing homelessness and substance misuse. These things aren't necessarily in a vacuum. Often people that suffer from from one, and not everybody, but from one of these issues is suffering from the other two. Uh, There's a weird dependence and dependence. Correct. Um, So we reached out in in kind of at the same time, and, and it was perfect timing. Dover Mental Health Alliance had really uh, gotten off the ground, which is Dover Mental Health Alliance is a it's a grassroots community wide effort, uh, really of people from all walks of life, from all different social service agencies, um, and, and from different perspectives who are meeting to really try to address mental health community wide. And what really started Dover Mental Health Alliance was the the tragedies of three suicides. Uh, of teenagers, uh, all from the same grade at Dover High School. So that really, I think, was the the impetus that started Dover Mental Health Alliance. But having this this committed group of people uh, was was great for the city because it gave us somebody to to kind of help work with. So we approached them and, and asked them to help us form a, a subcommittee at Dover Mental Health Alliance to really look at the city funded services and how we're responding to the mental health crisis, not just police or fire, but welfare, planning, uh, media services, 
our, our, our clerk's office, any part, anything that's funded by the city, how are we responding? The school department is obviously a big part of that. Um, so we brought in representatives from the police department, the fire department, the school department, uh, as well as um, representatives from both of our hospitals here, the emergency room, at, at the freestanding emergency room at Portsmouth Hospital here in Dover, as well as WDH, and our community partners, which is our local community mental health center. Uh, and we, we met weekly. We initially tried to do this on our own and realized we needed help facilitating because we were having kind of the same conversations at every meeting and really couldn't, had a hard time getting it off the ground. So we reached out to the Center's Center for Ethics and Society at St. Anselm's College uh, and they agreed. Uh, we contracted with them to help facilitate the study. So what we looked at over the last seven or eight months was really, you know, what, what were the, what are the national trends on mental health? Uh, what's the trends here in Dover? Um, and, and I talked about them earlier, but it, we actually back that up with data, not just police and fire, but hospitals and, and our and, and community partners. But also, you know, what are some of the obstacles to trying to solve this problem? Where are the opportunities? Uh, and we really came up with uh, with a host of areas. Uh, we came up with, I believe, a hundred and over a hundred specific recommendations for the city. But they really break down into into the same basic area groups, and that's education of the public, making sure the public understands mental health, understands that there is help out there, how to how to reach out for help, when they should reach out for help. Training of city staff uh, was another big area. Making sure our city staff just has kind of basic mental health first aid, for instance, things like that. And, and, and you know, what may be good for the the community services, the plow truck drivers, is obviously not going to be the same level of training that a police officer or firefighter gets. But putting in training citywide so everybody has some basic understanding. And then uh, staff, positions like Katie, and then support for staff. Mental health impacts, you know, workplaces. Uh, and when you add in specific uh, professions like police officer or firefighter and you're exposed to trauma on a daily basis, we need to do make sure we're doing a good job keeping our people healthy, uh, both physically and mentally, so they can respond to these things. And then additional things like all the way through – uh, kind of bigger pie in the sky things like a facility, a uh, 24-hour mental health facility. Now, we understand that Dover may not be able to do that. I certainly wouldn't be able to do that on their own. But that was put out there. It's a need. Um, now, whether that's in Dover somewhere regionally, um, there's also it's also important to remember that this plan is the state has a 10-year mental health plan. So one of the recommendations of our plan was for our own state delegation to continue uh, to try to move the state's 10-year plan forward. The interesting thing about the state's 10-year mental health plan, it was put together in 2019 before the pandemic, and the pandemic has really impacted mental health. Sure. Um, and it's a 10-year plan. And as we're seeing, these a lot has already changed since 2019, but we really can't wait till you know 2029 to address this issue. So there needs to be continued effort put on there. But Things like, you know, Katie was instrumental and, and brought a lot to the table for our subcommittee, but things like what Katie's doing um, has been instrumental. And I've said it before, I think we're developing this plan, but we're actually working on the plan at the same time. Uh, one of the recommendations of the plan was police social worker, and we already had it. <laughs> right. We're actually now looking at bringing on a second police social worker. We, we hired Katie under a one-year grant, uh, which was going to expire in February. Uh, and we received another five-year grant 
not only to keep Katie, but to bring on a second social worker because it's working. Um, not only is it working, but our offices are buying into it. And I think you hinted to it earlier, Chris, you know, as Katie's getting a reputation as somebody that can help people, um, people are coming to us for help, which is a great thing. But even other social service agencies are calling Katie saying, can you help this person? Which is well, and, and that's the part of the plan that I think is interesting, Katie, is that you're a resource to those providing first responders, as you said. You're a resource to those having that first response, too. But I think you're actually a bigger resource and an inspiration to the community around about, hey, this is real life. And the four of us sitting at this table, we all could probably point to people that we know that may be looking back saying, you know what? That person was dealing with a mental health issue. I was dealing with a mental health issue. My parents were, et cetera. And the more we make that connection, that it's personal, the more we all become first responders. I think everybody has a role um, in being a first responder. I think a lot of times people are wondering, um, you know, what can I do? What's my role in this? Uh, for one, I, I think that if you have a question and you're curious and you you feel like you need to learn more, there are so many resources out there to provide education for someone to be just more well-informed. One of those resources is mental health first aid. So I, a part of this city plan was for me to be trained as a mental health first aid instructor. So last week I did the training for that and I'm now a certified instructor in the city of Dover. So I'm able to provide mental health first aid training to all of the city employees, um, as well as community, you know, people in the community. Um, and those trainings are scheduled and offered usually with the fees paid for through other grants or donations through the Dover Mental Health Alliance. Um, so that would be a really good opportunity for someone in the community who just wants to know how they can help. And I think just having these skills just these basic skills and knowledge towards what an early mental health crisis may look like. So before it even becomes a crisis, but just more so signs and symptoms of how they can intervene to help get that person the need they the help that they need before it becomes a crisis. Um, and I think that the more that people are open and willing to, you know, learn more. Um, and become more involved and take these types of trainings and join in on the discussions. It not only reduces stigma and increases awareness, but it makes them a more impactful person in the community, um, whether that's for someone within their own family, a complete stranger that they interact with at the grocery store that seems to be struggling. Um, there are opportunities for people, I think, to have way more of an impact than they than they think they can. I'm struck, and I I don't want to get too personal, but I'm struck that uh, I've got to think that you've got some pretty good techniques that you use for mental health stability because you're surrounded by it all day. And just as the chief was saying, when first responders are dealing with those that are going through traumatic events, you're living that life. And so just as we provide gems for uh, the physical side of things, I bet that we're going to see more and more. And when we have the EIP, the Employee Assistance Program, and there are at least four Dover employees, but I think employer-wide, I think societally, I think we're going to end up seeing much more recognition, as you said, Chief, that mental health needs care just like physical health right. needs care. Right. Right, absolutely. And if you actually look at the data, I mean, a lot of people are out sick, 
<laughs> yeah. because of mental health needs. And maybe not I need a own, mental health day. Right. Maybe not their own mental health, but the, the mental health of a child. Uh, and I'm sure any the listener. Mental health from having a child. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure everybody who's listening can probably, you know, think of a, of a time where somebody, either themselves or somebody in, in their family or a loved one was struggling. It, it impacted them. It certainly impacts employers. And I couldn't agree with you more. The police department in the, in the fire department a few years ago, we launched the program requiring all of our, our police officers, sworn police officers and dispatchers and, and all of the firefighters every year goes and meets with a, a psychologist for a mental health and wellness visit. It's not a psych assessment or anything like that. It's really a check-in session. Uh, every year, myself included, we go and we meet and we, it's a conversation we have with the psychologist. And what she does is really gauges our level of stress and anxiety about the job, but also provides us with, hey, it's normal. You're seeing things that the average person doesn't see. And here's normal stress. And, but she also tells us about the things that aren't normal. You know, if you're drink going home and you need to drink because that's how you are relieving stress, well, that's a bad, that's a bad thing. And you should probably be become aware of that but also give us ways to kind of cope with what we're dealing with and we've se- we've seen that program again be really well received by the by the rank and file and i think part of that is it's like what katie was saying it's it's just showing that level of compassion and care for people uh for us that's um, we're hoping that program is actually helping individual officers but at the very least, the officers know we care about them. We care about their mental health. And I think that's really the first step in this is having people just be compassionate and empathetic um, to their their loved ones, to their neighbors, to the person they see in the grocery store, and, and obviously for employers to do that with employees. You know, it's a basic thing. People want to be recognized as real. Mm-hmm. People want to be valued. And people want to know that you actually care about them. Right. And that, that care doesn't have to be super deep, but at least you have to recognize that they're human and that they deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. And at the very baseline, that's almost what we're teaching people is when you see someone, treat them the way you'd want to be treated and ask if they need help. They might say no. Right. And, and, but, you know, and it's important to understand and people really need to understand this. And, and people with a mental health crisis are everybody. Right. right. It's, it could be anybody. So it's not. It's not them. It's not them. It's not the scary, you know, person on the street that you, you know, that, that you're afraid is going to assault you. It's, it's your parents. It's your grandparents. It's your, it's your children. It's your neighbors. It's your loved ones. It's everybody. So, don't be afraid to to offer help. You're not going to, you know, catch a mental illness by <laughs> by talking to somebody who's mentally ill. Is as silly as that sounds. But there shouldn't be a fear about trying to offer help. Again, to your point, it's just making sure people understand they're not alone. I think that's a good way to to wrap up here. Um, We do typically wrap up by asking the guests to say one or two things, three if you can, that maybe make the community stand out, whether it's a person, place, idea, activity. Uh, Chief, um, we're going to have you back for a couple other topics. So I'm going to ask Katie if there's anything that jumps out to you. And, and it very well could be that the community took a stand and said, we need this role. We need to be a part of this program. But if there are other things that uh, jump out to you, that'd be great. Yeah, just in regards to how the community can have a bigger role in this city plan and this discussion, I think for one their support of social workers in police department and the police department is huge. Uh, you know, the biggest 
I guess the biggest compliment I can receive is when I get a referral from someone who's referred their friend or their family member based on their experience with me. So I think that this role also, having a social worker in the police department, we've talked a lot about mental health stigma, but there's also still, I think, some lingering stigma nationwide around police departments in general and police officers just based on, you know, unfortunate events that have occurred throughout the nation. And what we do as a society is we lump everyone together and it's a it's a blanket perspective that is seen with police officers. My hope and I think the biggest shift we can do in Dover is removing Dover from that that general perspective that police are bad, police are treating people poorly because I think that that only builds barriers and walls to people seeking treatment and seeking help. And I might be biased because I am a police social worker and I work in a police department, but I just hope that it is noted that I am not a police officer. I'm a civilian employee. I'm a social worker within a police department. So I think I have more of a neutral perspective. And I can honestly say that how things are being done in Dover is, is not what's maybe being done throughout the country when it comes to dealing with people um, and helping people in crisis and trying to address these issues. My job is possible as a social worker in the Dover Police Department specifically because of how the police interact with individuals who are struggling. They set the tone, they build the foundation for me to then be able to be involved and have buy-in. So I think, again, for for us to continue to be be successful with this program and to see this trend upward positively, it's really going to take the buy-in, again, from the community Um, the support from the community to change the conversation around police and people needing help because it just will continue to decrease barriers. So the last word you should have it, Katie, and and what I'm going to ask you to do is if someone listening wants to refer someone or reach out to you for more information, is it just the 742-4646 number or is there a better way? How does someone listening leave this podcast and say, I want to help or I I have someone that, that needs help or I need help. Sure. Yeah. So they can call that number you just mentioned. That's the non-emergency dispatch line for the PD. Uh, And what would happen is they would connect that individual to either my voicemail or my direct supervisor, Sergeant Alex Matrushi, sort of helps oversee my caseload. Um, So they can either call that line or email Sergeant Alex Matrushi or myself directly. Call me directly. There's no wrong way to ask for help, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Are there resource information on the Police Department website, is there uh, under the community section? Yes, there is. Yep. So under the community section, yeah. And with that being said, to anybody listening, you don't need to have police involvement to need help. So although I am in the police department and I do kind of look for those higher volume calls for service or those, those calls for service that may trend in that direction, that doesn't mean that because you haven't had police interaction that I'm not available. If you need help, I'm happy to help. And actually you reaching out for help is more from a prevention standpoint. And that's really the focus we should be looking at is prevention, not so much intervention. I really appreciate you two both coming here today. Uh, Chief, we talked about it in the past. I really appreciate that you, your forward thinking mindset of we don't just write traffic tickets or solve someone's break in that it is about prevention. As Katie says, that the prevention aspect is just as important as the reaction aspect. And so I appreciate your guidance and leadership at the police department. Katie, your enthusiasm and your passion, your knowledge base is is great. I've worked with you on the plan and I appreciate what you're bringing to the table and the resource you're providing the community. And I appreciate both of you taking your time this morning. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. 
With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. Dover's early firefighters were mostly volunteers organized as companies. Many of these were called hook and ladder companies, consisting of fire apparatus that carried long ladders to reach the upper levels of buildings and hooks used to tear down ceilings, doors, and obstructions. Dover's oldest hook and ladder company was formed this week on December 21st in 1831. The company was initially called simply the Volunteer Hook and Ladder Company. Three decades later, the volunteer group would be called the Invincible Hook and Ladder Company, and later Lincoln Hook and Ladder Company No. 1. Despite the name changes, the company continued to respond to fires and by the early 1900s was the oldest company to operate continually since its formation. This hook and ladder company would also carry on a tradition every year of its existence, an annual banquet. These banquets were renowned in Dover and often attracted news coverage from throughout the region. Foster's Daily Democrat would write in its coverage of the 1911 banquet, quote, Everyone knows, and history long ago indicted it in indelible ink, that the members of the Hooks have a reputation to subduing qualifications that cannot be excelled, hospitable, open-hearted, and liberal too. When festive occasion comes, they lead the van every time, and as successful as have been the other 79 preceding banquets that of last night, showers excelsior upon the captain down. At its 80th annual banquet on December 21, 1911, the Knights of Columbus Hall was packed with hundreds of people, including many of the city's dignitaries. The banquet began at 8 that evening, and after an hour of socializing, guests were treated to a feast, followed by remarks from the mayor, city clerk, city treasurer, the city messenger, and, of course, Captain Charles Clark. Then it was on to the entertainment, which consisted of music, comedy, and tall tales, all of which lasted well beyond midnight. By 1924, the Lincoln Hook and Ladder Company was the oldest horse-drawn fire apparatus in New England. That same year, though, it would retire its horse-drawn ladder truck, built in 1889, and begin to use its first motorized ladder truck. The fire department planned a large field day that year to celebrate the new motorized truck. The Lincoln Hook and Ladder Company would celebrate its 100th anniversary in 1931 and would continue to be recognized as one of the oldest fire companies in the state for many more years. Today, Dover's fire department is known as Dover Fire and Rescue and remains one of the state's oldest fire departments. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Download's email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week. Have a great week.